0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Um, twice when I was in college, I led a group of Chicago teenagers on a seven day wilderness excursion through the Rockies. And it was as stressful as that sounds. Um, so we, we took uh, these teenagers out on this long trip. It was super intense. We climbed 14ers. We didn't have tents. We slept in the wilderness. We swam in rivers. Uh, it was nuts. And we didn't bring any clothes to change in, so we had one, only the clothes on our backs, and we didn't shower. Uh, and so you put that on top of everything that we were doing, sweating tons and climbing with huge packs. By the end of the week, uh, we were really, really nasty. And when we came back to base camp, we got to take a shower, a hot shower. And uh, the base camp, which was still in the middle of nowhere, uh, had limited water, so it was timed, so it was two and a half minutes, and somebody was literally outside with a watch uh, and going to kick you out after two and a half minutes. But even so, uh, that was one of the best two and a half minutes of my entire life, and I got to experience it twice, because I did this trip twice. I remember feeling just all the grime and all the mess just wash off me, flowing down into the drain. I remember taking off all the disgusting clothes. Uh, For some kids, they brought old clothes or whatever, and they were so nasty at the end, they just threw them away. And after taking that beautiful, gorgeous, cleansing shower, we put on new clothes and emerged to a hot meal that they had prepared for us, and we felt like kings and queens. Uh, Marissa and I joke that the goal in life is to feel better than you actually look, and we felt so good. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that, been super cold, muddy, dirty, hot, whatever it was, and you got to cleanse yourself. I give you that picture because it's one of the central images that the Bible gives for the cross, for what we just heard Margaret talk about. It is this moment, personally and for the life of the world, of purifying, of washing, of cleansing. And this evening, I'm not going to preach a big sermon on a passage or anything. I want to give us one anchor verse from the Bible And three ideas that come out of it, and they revolve around this idea of the cross as being this enormous, beautiful moment of washing. So I'm sorry, the the passage is not in your bulletin, but if you have a Bible, you can look at it. It's in Titus. It's Titus 2.14. And I'll say it a couple times, so even if you don't have it, it's okay. But Titus 2.14 says this. Jesus gave himself for us. And when you hear that language in the Bible, that giving language is cross language. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us possession. Here's the three big ideas. I'm just going to give them all to you up front. Number one, we long to be pure and we cannot purify ourselves. Number two, Jesus purifies us on the cross. And number three, Jesus purifies us for his own possession. Um, I will repeat those things again, so don't worry if you didn't catch them all. First, I just want to think about this idea that we long to be pure and we cannot purify ourselves. Um, If you are a human being, then my hunch is at some point, you have experienced the longing to be clean, not just in clothes, a deep down inward cleanliness. We've all sinned. We've all been sinned against. And those things have a way, those things we've done and the things that we have suffered have a way of sticking to us. We carry them with us. Almost like we feel like through our whole life, inwardly, we've been backpacking in one set of clothes. Picked up all the grime and mess of life. When I was thinking about this at first, uh, I felt the burden to prove that we all have this longing to be clean, and that it's this common human experience, and that it's a good longing to be clean, but I ended up in, like, Western literary history and, like, the Holocaust and science fiction, and it was really bad, so I'm going to spare you my massive bunny trail. Uh, I think it's there, but for another time, I just will say this. Personally, I've experienced this. I felt the grime of my sins. I felt the burden and the weight of them. Feeling dirty in a way because of something I did or something someone did to me that I feel like other people can see it. It's on me. And I've been a pastor long enough, even though I'm a very young pastor, and have interacted with enough people to know that I'm not the only one who thinks that and has felt that. I think that the longing to be clean is common to us. Also, beyond personally, did you know that every culture and religion historically, deep in the culture, uh, has some sense of seeking after ritual purification? You can go anywhere in the world, and you will find people setting up ways to purify themselves. Um, The Hindu religion has lots of ritual purification in it. Some of our friends live in Southeast Asia, and I learned this year that in the Buddhist New Year, at least where they live, the practice, which is hilarious and I think we need to bring here, is to just soak everyone in water, surprisingly, when you see them. So it's like everybody just gets as wet as possible for like a week in the Buddhist New Year. So literally, they live in Laos, and they'll tell us like you'll just be walking in the market and somebody will like jump out with a water gun and just squirt you. And they're like getting used to that idea. But the reason behind it is because they're seeking newness and purity and they're longing to be washed this is a part of the new year. So it's not just a Christian or a Jewish thing. I think it's a human thing. It's a human instinct. Don't let anyone tell you it's wrong or not cool to desire to be pure. Amen? Don't let the culture suffocate your conscience to think that it's not a good thing to long to be clean. I think we need to allow our God-given instincts and convictions to teach us about this. So we acknowledge our longing for it, but then we also have to acknowledge the fact that we are not able in and of ourselves to purify ourselves. You can try to hide it. You can try to suppress it or get it off, uh, I think of Lady Macbeth, those of you who are Shakespeare fans with the, the damned spot. You can swear in a sermon because it's Shakespeare. Uh, she can't get it off. Um, the other thing that we try to do is we try to be so good and so perfect and so religious that it tries to get away the feeling. And the people who were most hardcore at this were the Pharisees. Um, they longed to be so clean, they did everything perfectly, or at least they tried to. But you know what Jesus says to them one time? He's talking to him, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. What an image. You are working as hard as you can, scrubbing yourselves down in your life and putting on a face towards the world, but you can't get inside the cup. You guys ever tried to clean something and there's one bit, like a crevice in your car, you can't vacuum or you can't clean? Jesus is saying, you can be as religious as you want. You can't get inside the cup. You can't get inside your heart or your conscience. We feel the longing to be pure, but we cannot do it ourselves. Here's the gospel on Good Friday. Jesus purifies us on the cross. Amen? Listen to the promise of the gospel this evening. No matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, Jesus can do what no one else can. He can wash it away. He does have the power to forgive what you've done. He does have the power to heal what has been done to you. Jesus alone can reach inside the cup. Nobody else can. Jesus alone has the power to clean you on the inside. The prophets um, always foretold this. So God always said, one day this was going to happen. Isaiah says that one day the Lord would Jerusalem, weigh the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purge the bloodshed of Jerusalem. How epic is that? Ezekiel says this, I love this, I will consume your uncleanness from you. (laughs) He goes on to say, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols and then you'll be my people and I will be your God. Zechariah says this, in that day a fountain will be opened up for the house of David and for the the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For what? For sin and for impurity. One day a fountain was going to spring up somewhere that was going to wash all that away. And when was it the fountain opened up? When was it that our uncleanness was consumed? Eaten, taken away? Right. Good Friday. <coughs> Remember Titus? He says Jesus gave himself to purify people. Hebrews says that he came to offer purification for sins. You might have heard some of that in Matthew's reading this morning. First John says that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews also says, echoing Ezekiel, that our hearts are sprinkled clean, the inside of the cup, from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Some of you read our Maundy service, Maundy Thursday service uh, last night. Monday Thursday is the, the service before Good Friday. And it struck me, because I was thinking about this, what Jesus does with his disciples the night before he dies. What does he do? He washes them. What does he tell Peter? You're clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Peter says, don't do this to me. And, and Jesus says, no, I have to do this. I have to wash you. How did Jesus accomplish this on the cross? How does this work? The Bible's really clear. Jesus purified us by taking on our impurity. He loved us so much. He, the clean one, right, The pure one bore our grime, bore our mess he suffered under its weight and its ugliness so that we might be given robes that are clean, that we might be pure. First Peter says this, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You inherited a lot of dirtiness from your parents and their parents and their parents, and their parents. Is another way to say that? Not, but you were ransomed from this, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Perfectly clean. In Revelation, it actually says that the saints wash their dirty, grimy robes coming out of the pain and sinfulness and suffering of their lives in the blood of the lamb, in the purity of Jesus. So it's almost like Jesus offers us his purity that we take and wash ourselves in. That's why we sing, what can wash away our sin? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. No other fountain. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus. So behold the love of God. He makes us clean at his horrifying expense. Did you hear uh, in the Isaiah reading that Claire read, he was marred beyond human likeness, meaning he was so beat up, he didn't even look like a guy anymore. Jesus bears our ugliness and our dirtiness, and he gives us his purity. Amen? Hallelujah. Here's where it gets even better, though. This is what struck me so much this week. Why did Jesus go to such drastic lengths to do this? Why would he do that for you? Listen to Titus. Jesus gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Point three, Jesus purifies us for his possession. To translate that, Jesus died to cleanse you because he wants you. He desires you. That possession language is like treasure language. It's like beloved language. The father did not give the son and the son did not lay his life down and send the spirit because he just had to or he thought you were gross and he wanted to clean you up. The Bible says he did it because he loves us. He wants us. He wants you, which is why he did it, amen? The Bible repeatedly uses the analogy of gold uh, for us. And gold is refined by processing away the impurities, right, so that it becomes beautiful and pure. And we have to imagine Jesus, I think, seeing us with all our sins and all our impurities like somebody stumbling across like a a raw gold nugget. And he sees it and his heart leaps because he wants it. He wants to purify it and clean it. He sees what we truly are, which are his image bearers. He created us. He loves us. And so he gave himself for us and went to such great lakes so he could have us as his treasure, so we could have him. Did you hear that in Ezekiel? I will sprinkle you and I will cleanse you. And then what? Great lies of the devil and one of the most awful effects of both sin and abuse done towards us is the belief that we are unlovely, that no one wants us, whether it's God or other people, but that is a lie. Jesus wants you. No matter how dirty you feel, he wants you for his own possession, for his own treasure, right? We, the unclean sinners who make up the church, are actually the ones that he wants to marry. Right? He's our bridegroom. The church is his bride. For God so what the, what the world? Loved the world. A pure world? Uh, a perfect world? The perfect people in the world? No. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. And Jesus does the same thing of his own volition. Jesus gives himself to purify for himself of people. Um, One of the most visceral pictures of this in the Bible, I had to go here, is in Zechariah, which is one of those places in the Bible we don't often drive to. It's like the part of town that we're like, Zechariah, how do I get there? But this is in Zechariah 3, that Joshua, the high priest, the, the prophet has this vision, is exposed and he's in shame. And he's brought before God in filthy garments. Listen to this. This is from Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebukes you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. So you have to imagine the high priest is standing before God. He's literally in the court of heaven and he's shamefully dressed. He's messy. He's in the light, right? He's brought in the middle of the stage so everybody gets a good look at him. And Satan, which his name means the accuser, is standing at him and he's accusing him. One thing the enemy loves to do is to take your impurity and shove it in your face, right? Point out how nasty you look. How unlovely you are. Listen to what happens. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I love Zechariah as a suggestion. And I said, hey, let them put a clean turban on his head. He like goes for he's like, let's clean, let's clean him up some more. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. That's the gospel. Jesus doesn't come to tell us we're fine as we are. Notice God doesn't say, no, you're perfect. No, he comes, he sees you fully as you are, entirely. He sees everything, but he still wants you. And he died so that he could clothe you, wash you, like me coming out of the wilderness, being just cleansed. We long to be pure, but we cannot purify ourselves. Jesus purifies us on the cross, and he purifies us for his own possession. Amen? Amen. Now how do we access the power of the cross? How do you get in the fountain and let it wash over you Get into every pore. The Bible's really clear on this, actually, too. It's pretty simple. Um, It's repentance and belief. I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's really true. In other words, confess and admit that you long to be clean and that you need washing. That's a start. And the second thing is believing that Jesus really is the one who can wash you. That's repentance and belief. First John says this, if we say we have no sin, if you're acting like, no, I'm fine. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Later in the book it says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I love the story in the Gospels where there's a guy with leprosy who runs up to Jesus And it says that he sees Jesus and he falls out the ground in front of him and he begs him, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? It says Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and I love it says, I'm willing. (laughs) I want a t-shirt that says, quote, I'm willing, Jesus. (laughs) And then he says, be clean. The only thing that would get in the way of the purifying Power of the cross in your life, and it seems so simple to me right now. But I'm shocked by how most days of the year this is really hard for me. The only thing that gets in the way of the purifying power of the cross is acting like you don't need it or not asking for it. Isn't that weird? Why is that so hard? It's so hard. Oh, but man, Jesus is willing. He's so willing. He has the power to do it. That's why he died. So what's going to happen for the rest of this evening? Again, this is an unusual service for us if you've been to our church on a Sunday morning. Um, We're going to open up a space for Jesus to minister to us the um, power of the cross, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? Um, We want to open up ourselves to repent and believe in the gospel. We're going to have space to do that. Um, First, we're going to pray in a second, uh, and then we're going to process the cross uh, around the room. After that, our children are going to come back in and join us. And then we're actually going to lay the cross in the middle of the room here. And the power of the cross is always with us, uh, but we do this every Friday where we lay the cross down in the middle and then we all get an opportunity to come and pray next to the cross. We get to touch it. Uh, the cross is always with us. It's just we have this open, free time in a tactile way to enter into the ministry of the cross on Good Friday. Good Friday.